Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest sitting on the other side of our Zoom. This is a take, I don't know, how many times have we tried to do this before? Only, only two. This really? is only take two. This yeah. feels like more than more than two. No, it's just because Toby and I have been going back and forth through email for, oh my God, it must be like two it's to three months now. It's been a while. You guys just email buddies now? Yeah. yeah. Let's try to schedule a podcast. Let's We're pen pals. Buddies. Yeah, we are pen pals. <laughs> but you know what I like? about um, my correspondence with Toby and this is not throwing shade at anybody else. Sounds like you're throwing shade already. But what I I have appreciated so much is scheduling sometimes can be hard, right? Matching each other's schedules. But every single time that we have communicated, she has sent me three to four dates and times, like specific. I'm available (laughs) March 18th, 4 p.m. Pacific uh, Standard Time. I am available March 25th, This is why I love doing this stuff. Like I, I like booking people on the phone or through a Zoom call. Mm. I hate going back and forth with a message. So when do you have time? I don't know what day is available. Then I send a date. They're like, no, What's that doesn't work for, for me. What's good for you? No, and it just I can't goes do back that. and forth. I'm like, can we just do a phone call? Can we just do a Zoom call? Can we do something like that? <laughs> and then just get it all out instead of carrying this on for three days of what's good for you? What's good for you? I don't know what's good it's, for you. It's not your favorite pastime, just like <laughs> scheduling things. No, and this is this is why this is why I do the scheduling, by the yeah. way. <laughs> and this is why I, I I I don't like it when we go through people. When someone has people yeah my people are going to get in touch with you or you got you got to message my people i'm like i hate dealing with people so we might be throwing shade at some people <laughs> did i just see that well i mean we get we get quite a few emails of i'm so and so and i represent this person i think they'd be great for okay your podcast. susan yeah. oh oh i gotta tell the story before we introduce toby susan, i can't susan. i get an email the other day Hey Susan, I love I love the podcast. Hey Susan and Mark, I love the podcast. We'd love to introduce you to so and so to be a guest. I'm like, um, okay. Well, you called me Susan, so I don't know how much you listen. <laughs> it's funny. yeah, that that's a you know get the names first, then dates, then times. You know, there's a progression of it, and it's really not it's really not that hard. It's not you listen to one episode, we introduce ourselves. The end. Yeah. Like you don't even have to you go through even, the you don't the even catalog. actually have to listen if you just like read any of this stuff or just go yeah. on to our social platform like you'll pick right. up that you'll I just want to name it up. yeah it's <laughs> well, Susan for the remainder of the evening look like I can Susan. be Susan did you say I do look like a Susan no you don't look like a Susan oh, okay I was oh. like I don't think I look like a Susan what's that supposed to mean we know we know Susan and she, she's gonna be like I know multiple Susans and they're wonderful like people but I don't think I look like a Susan I have been told I look like a Jennifer okay and my mother almost named me that and I've also been told I look like a Holly which I thought was interesting I don't see it but I've been told by more than one person do you feel you look like a Toby or do you do you think you can be somebody else? Wow, you know, Toby's a hard name to grow into, right? For yeah. a, for a woman, <laughs> I have to say, it was. I always joke when people say, you know, how'd you get your name? I say my parents had a really great sense of humor because from day one, people come up to me and they go, "My dog's name is Toby, and oh he's a boy." <laughs> So it's you know it builds character, builds character. Well, I will. Did I that will conversation say. ever end with "fuck off"? <laughs> it it just ends with and and what would you like me to say to that? <laughs> right? When people have these weird comments weird, that yeah. they should really keep to themselves, I'm always wondering like what in, what went through your mind before you said that? Like for example, I took nothing, my kids nothing. to uh, <laughs> nothing went through. My I took mind. my kids to a play group one time, and my youngest was only a baby. She might have been six months old, and I mean babies. Unless the parents dress them in like pink or blue, like they're genderless. You have no idea yeah. what what you're looking at, right? It's a baby. And so this woman an comes alien, up to me. Because you look like aliens. And she said, oh, your baby's so cute. Is it a boy or a girl? And I said, oh, this is a girl. And she goes, really? 
looks like a boy. And I just said to her, really? that was a weird thing to say. And I walked That's away. So like, weird. That is a weird thing to say to a, a mother of a newborn baby. Easy, Susan. Wow. <laughs> Susan angry. Again, like nothing goes through the mind at first. Well, I will say when you first emailed me, I, you I, thought I, I was Googled you. I, no, I Googled you because Toby could go either way. I Googled you to find out, am I talking to a man or a woman? And not that it matters, but I was Very like, smart. I'm curious now because I mean, that's the what same thing when somebody when you Googled though. Uh, it's actually because yeah. um, her name is unique. I found her right away. I got to see her clinic did website. Nice this, website, by the else, way. <laughs> what else did you find though? Toby, do you ever Google yourself? Um, I hate to admit it, but I have because somebody recommended it and I was like, oh my God, I've never Googled myself. And it's interesting what shows up. I mean, I mean, there's like this uh what's that called the six degrees of kevin bacon it's yeah. like all of a sudden i'm seeing people who i've known through other people based on my search have you guys seen that no it's really interesting it's like i'll get a picture of like somebody from my sixth grade class all of a sudden yeah. you know who knew somebody who knew somebody i'm like wow that's based on my name like yeah. there's a lot that's of so weird basically things. you've been tagged in a picture somewhere on social right. platforms and suddenly your, your name's in a google search well because of because of you mark Sorry. And the fact that you're all over social media, if I Google my name, yeah. it's just Con Ed and two RMTs and a mic stuff that comes up everywhere. So, I mean, Sorry. I guess that's good. No, that's fine. It's I don't get like weird, you know, sixth grade friends coming back into my life because <laughs> it's all of the stuff that you tagged me in. Have you ever found something really negative about yourself? I haven't. A am I supposed to give away all my skeletons in this <laughs> podcast? <laughs> I know. We haven't even introduced her yet. We're I like, was like, what who have you am found? I? <laughs> okay. Last question then. What did you have for breakfast this morning? You look like you look like you look like you're healthy. What'd you have for breakfast? Healthy. Let's see. Um, what did I have for breakfast? You know, I would like to say I had like a nice green smoothie, but honestly, I had should I admit this? Yes. Um I had leftover enchilada from yesterday. Oh, I love <laughs> enchiladas. <laughs> oh, okay, that's fair. They're really good, right? Like next day, same day, whatever. Yep. Totally. I agree. I so let's let's actually get to some let's introductions. Yeah. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda, not Susan. And we Susan. are talking with Toby, who's in California. Holly. Holly. <laughs> no, it's Susan. <laughs> and as as you know now, Toby and I had some back and forth conversation via email. Um, she does listen to our podcast. And she, she said she listens while on road trips. And being that you're in California, I was picturing like top down, beautiful, like coastal road trips. I'm like, ah, oh, I want to be in that car except not listening to me and she said i have a, an interesting topic if you'd be interested so what toby does is she uses reverse engineering if i'm remembering correctly for your career and your lifestyle using the fear abatement method and i read this and i looked at mark and i said i know what every single one of those words means individually put together puzzled so Let's have Toby on to teach us about what these words all mean together. <laughs> Thank you for not uh, making me admit that I'm a dumb guy. <laughs> Thanks for taking that on for me. I appreciate it. I do a lot of nice things for you. I know. <laughs> so Toby, why don't we start with an introduction, how long you've been practicing as a certified massage therapist in California, what got you into this profession, and then how you ended up doing you know, all of those words strung together that you do. <laughs> all of the words strung together. That is a great segue. And uh, yeah, I'll start with the how long I've been practicing. So 2011 is when I really began uh, doing body work. Oh, me too. We're the same. Really? Yeah. There we go. We were, we were like body work twins. We didn't even know it. 
<laughs> across the border. <laughs> yeah, so 2011, and uh, I went to a school originally called the National Holistic Institute. They've got nine campuses in California. Um, they are not national despite their name. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was a great school. They did a lot of anatomy, which was one thing that was kind of missing in a lot of massage programs that I don't know if you guys have the same experience, um, but there was kind of more the touchy feely and then the spiritual and the kind of some basic sequences in a lot of the schools. Oh, we're in Ontario. It's like must know everything about anatomy all the time. Our okay. our training is probably the most intense in the world. So I, uh, yeah, I can't say we had that experience. It was like people would get into the course and drop out after three weeks because they're like, I can't handle all the anatomy. How many how many hours is the education in California? Wow, interesting. Um, So at this point, it's just a 500 minimum. What right. are you guys? Um, Most places run on 2,200 hours. 2,200. Wow. And there are some schools in like British Columbia that are running 3, on like 3,000, 3,300, something like that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, like, a- is there a general consensus amongst the community that that's an amazing high bar that you want to keep? Or is there like, I'm going to California? <laughs> no, actually, a therapist. I mean, I won't generalize. There are a large group of therapists in Canada that still feel our education needs improvement um, because of the fact that we are regulated regulated healthcare healthcare. and they want us to be on par with physiotherapists and with chiropractors and be able to, you know, we're considered healthcare, right? So they want us to be able to be at the table with all of these other professionals and be regarded as such. Whereas because massage education and massage therapy globally means so many different things and it's so different. As you said, you did 500 hours and a lot of the touchy-feely stuff, less anatomy. It's like the general public doesn't realize the intensity of our training sometimes. And so there are therapists who feel like we need to up our education and sort of prove ourselves, for lack of a better term. I don't know. But then there's a whole group of therapists who feel like, man, we already have like the highest training in the world. Let's let's chill. And continuing education is really huge. I know it is in the States yeah. as well, because a lot of the American therapists that we have talked to, I'm like, wow, you are like way smarter than I am. But uh, when, when you're rolling off of a 500 hour program for you to actually acquire a whole bunch of other information, it's it's coming from continuing education. Absolutely. So hence yes. the continuing education piece is so massive in the yep. States. Yeah, I like it. Exactly, exactly. And actually, the school that I went to, what they did was they had something they called the advanced program, which was another, let's see, I believe it was 750 hours, which I did take. So it does ramp you up pretty quickly as far as like getting the kinesiology and the anatomy and just kind of really understanding pathologies and contraindications. Um, So there's options. But like Mark said, a big part of it is continuing education and just keeping that up. You know, even practicing 11 years, you're like... I'm going to sign up for a class or a whole workshop or a program, you know. And so in the 11 years that you've been practicing, Toby, what were you doing before? Before before CMT? (laughs) Yeah, I skipped the most important part. We need to know how you got into this. Well, I want to know what makes you decide you want to take massage therapy. It's a really good question. Uh, A lot of roads pointed this way, but I'll put them into this kind of like convergence of essentially I was a personal trainer. I also managed a coffee shop. I was going to school for business and then I just dropped it all, left the country, volunteered in Israel for a year, met a body worker and just completely changed my life and said, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. (laughs) Came back to the States, literally, I think it was like eight days later, signed up for school and was like, yep, I think that was right. (laughs) I'm pretty lucky. When you were away. 
was it to find yourself? Like, what was the away about? Like, if, if this hits you, you know, or were you looking for it is, is kind of, I guess, what I'm asking. Yeah. So I had like, like I was going to school for business. I knew eventually I wanted to open uh, some sort of business that, that was about helping people. But at the time I was like, I literally don't know what that means. Like I'm doing some personal training on the side. Yeah, I get it. I like it. I'm working in gyms. It's, it's cool, I guess. It's all right. Um, but there still is that missing piece of the, it's not, it's not me. It's not where I'm at. It's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And, um, I do have family out in that country. So, uh, it just seemed like the logical next step, which doesn't make sense. But, um, but I went out there, visited some family, volunteered, um, lived on a commune, you know, the usual, Oh, the usual. <laughs> sure. you know, those times when you were in your twenties and you lived in a commune, yeah. no, yeah, one, totally. one over <laughs> the here. farm. I get it. <laughs> Was there ayahuasca involved in any of this? There's a lot of mushrooms, a lot of mushrooms happening. <laughs> Mark's like, hmm, I want to hear more about Israel. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come back and then you do this program and you become a certified massage therapist. What I was originally going to ask Sorry. before we got into that Sorry, was... Susan. No, no. Oh, yeah. Susan forgives you. Uh, how how has your career path been in over the last 11 years? Like, did you jump right into business ownership? Did you sort of jump around and work in different settings? Like, tell me about your journey for the last 11 years. Oh, yeah, it was quite the journey. And my original goal was get my hands on as many different kinds of people as I possibly can. So I worked with athletes and hospice and oncology. Um, I worked with kids. I worked with uh, people with very specific disabilities and rehab. And I just literally was like, just blown up, wanted to be out there, wanted to learn on the job more than anything, really kind of like get my hands into it, literally. Um, and so I, I way overdid it, like way. I didn't know anything about body mechanics. I didn't really understand. I mean, I knew about body mechanics as a trainer, but I didn't recognize the impact it would have in this career. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I did fast and furious deep dive and then pretty, pretty quickly. So about five years in, which they say five years is the burnout rate for practitioners. Do you guys hear that too? People say that and we always say, come on. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. But you know, that's, that's what, um, that's that's what a lot of therapists are told in school. We get a lot of students coming to us who are like, oh, I heard that you can only last five years in this career. And I'm like, well, Mark's, I don't know, do we say it? Mark's like 18 years in, 17 17 years in. I'm at 11, like, I think we yeah. I think we've made it past five years and we know therapists who have been doing this for 30 plus years. So it is possible. Yeah, we once we once did a we had a really small workshop here. The total years of, of therapy experience ended up to be like 130 something years. <laughs> and there wasn't many of us in the room. Wow, that's See, amazing. It's yeah. possible. So you you hit that five year mark and realized that you were doing it wrong. I was doing it wrong. That, that was it. And it, it really clicked that, oh, that's why people burn out in five years. They do it wrong. I mean, you know, it's a total generalization and a guess, but I imagine there's a lot of people that that do it. And I'll just say out of alignment. So not in the way that works for them. Were you shocked coming from a fitness background that doing this massage work could take such a toll on you? I was incredibly shocked. I was a runner. I was at the gym all the time. I could lift heavy objects, you know, I was like pushing on a body a little bit, like really? Like, that's not hard. 
<laughs> right. I'm like, they're not even moving. Like I'm barely moving, you know? Uh, but of course, repetitive stress and just the fact that it's essentially isometric holds like all day. Um, it was quickly apparent that, yeah, this something needs to change. But that being said, I knew I wanted to go into business for myself from the beginning. I just didn't know how that was going to happen. Um, which I can get into at some point if you're interested, but <laughs> of course we're interested. That's why we're here, Toby. Talk away. I'll drink All wine. Right. I'll drink wine. You tell me stories. <laughs> you drink wine. We'll say bedtime stories, right? Yes. <laughs> Sleep stories. Um, okay. So basically at the five-year mark, I ended up working, uh, dropping a lot of the gigs that I was doing and kind of getting out of the hustle mode and working for a woman who had been big in the community for about 30 years as far as body work. She's kind of an old hippie. She's been doing it forever. And I worked for her. She had a small clinic. And long story short, about three, hmm, about two years into working for her, we started kind of becoming friends. We'd go on hikes together and we'd one thing led to the next. We started talking about her retiring and me taking over. And it was just kind of a match made in heaven. It worked out really well. We went into negotiations and the whole process took about six months. Um, but I took over her business and we incorporated. Uh, at the time, I had 13 practitioners. We had three locations that I expanded to. Um, it started as one and 10 practitioners. We got uh, 13 practitioners and three locations. And then COVID hit. <laughs> can I ask you? Can I ask you a question on this? Because I know that there's somebody listening that is in a similar position where they're like, "I'm working with the therapist who's the clinic owner. They're on the verge of of, of retiring, and there's a really good opportunity for me to probably take this place over. And I want to know if you're comfortable with talking about how you went about acquiring this place. Is it? you had a shit ton of money and you had to buy it outright is it that you just kind of worked it off type of thing like give us an idea of how and we we recognize that it's going to be different obviously for everybody but no one talks about this part of it right we go from yeah and i was uh i was hanging out with the clinic owner and, and then, then boom and i then, own the clinic and then boom like they retired and i took it over and then there's this nice gap of like well what the fuck did you do to take it over what happened that, yeah, yeah magic that, that, before you that no one before says. you tell us toby i will say i even like how you started the story Story. It could have went either way. That started as a love story. I was like, so like, oh, yeah. are, I, are you married there. to this therapist <laughs> now or is this a business deal? Like, honestly, the way it started. We started to become friends. One thing yeah, like to one another. Thing to another. That's I was right there too. I was, I was like, like oh, this could happened? be a love story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, can you edit that out? <laughs> a, a business. Oh, no, that stays. This is a business love story and I'm here for it. So yeah, tell us exactly yeah, how piece, you though. go from being a practitioner, working for this therapist to being the head honcho. Okay, let's see. There is the tactical and the practical, and then there's the the actual relationship part of it. So, I mean, both I think are important. Um, one thing was the relationship was I was going from coworker to boss. So that's one piece you kind of have to recognize as far as can you handle that? If you're going to take over a clinic where you were working, can you handle the dynamics? Because losing your practitioners, I mean, any type of employment rollover, or what do they call it? Not rollover. What do they call it when people quit? Turnover. Yes, turnover. Um, any kind of turnover is obviously not good. And it's one of the most expensive parts of doing business is hiring new people, um, let alone just the value of having the continuity of practitioners for, you know, a lot of them had been here about seven, eight years when I took over, which is kind of unheard of in, at least in our area, people, you know, a year or two. Um, 
so recognizing how you're going to handle that dynamic is huge. Um, I have tips on that at some point. But the second piece of it is the tactical, practical stuff, which is get a lawyer. Um, you want somebody who can write contracts because essentially I was buying an LLC and I wanted to convert it to a C corporation. So understanding how to go from a limited liability which is the LLC, in someone else's hands to a different type of corporation in your hands, there's a whole contract that it's it's simple, so to speak, if you have a lawyer. Um, it's basically a two-page document, um, but you want to make sure you have the document in hand. You want to understand, you, you know, you, you want to put in writing whether or not it's going to be a co-owner, so it can be a percentage of ownership. Um, if she wanted to stay, for example, it could have been like 50, 40, 60, whatever it was. Um, I don't recommend co-ownership, but that's just me. Um, at, so, so the contract of the corporation and the entity uh, transfer is important. And then if you don't have money, like I did not, I had actually $300 in my account when I bought this business. Now I'm listening. How the hell do you become a clinic owner with $300 in your bank account? It was crazy. So I was like, even though I was hustling all the time before, I was paying off student debt and I was essentially renting and uh, cost of living in the Bay Area. California is really expensive. Um, so I was paycheck to paycheck until I bought the business. Um, I had $300. And essentially what I did was you, so when it comes to financing, you can get loans, you can get gifts from family and friends, you can get investors, and you can also do um, what's called a carryover from the owner. So I, uh, like in, in true fashion, like I usually do, I did a little bit of everything. You just want to make sure you're tracking it really well. So for example, I had three good friends who each lent me a certain amount of money and we wrote up a contract saying, I'll pay you back a per- uh, the whole amount plus a percentage. Um, then I also did a small bank loan, which having good credit helps. Um, but also it was a time where finance was good. Again, before COVID, like we were kind of on the up and up interest rates were pretty stable. So like just kind of understanding basic interest rates and like, is the bank going to be more willing to take a risk on somebody who has $300 in their bank account, for example? Um, it was luck in that sense. Um, But then also the carryover was the big part because that's called owner financing. So it's essentially where the owner, it's written into the contract that she will front you essentially X amount of dollars off the top of the cost of the business. Um, And then you promise to pay it in a promissory note and you pay it off however you can arrange it. I mean, there's a million different ways, but we did like X amount of dollars every month for X amount of months. And then that equals the total amount. See, whether there's a will, there is a way. So at any at any point in the beginning of this, were you like, what the fuck did I just What do? did I get into? I owe money to this friend and this friend and this friend. And then I've got this loan. And then, I, and then I've got this thing that I own, that I owe to the clinic owner. Like, are, did you ever feel like, oh my fucking God, I just need to pack up and leave the state and change my name. <laughs> I'm going, I'm leaving the country again. Yeah. Like, right. Um, it's actually what brought me to your podcast today about this whole fear abatement and reverse engineering lifestyle. It's literally why I was able to do it so confidently. And by confidently, I mean, I only cried like twice a day, you know, like, <laughs> um, it's very scary, but, but with this whole idea of reverse engineering your life, you say, 
you're able to look at it objectively and say, it sucks right now. I'm totally hustling. I'm in total debt. But I also know that based on if all things, all things being equal, pending a pandemic, um, I should be able to pay this off in X amount of time. It's going to pay off. It's going to save me a lot of time and, and years basically building the client base. Um, but it's a good question. I don't want to talk about COVID beyond this. But when the pandemic hit, I assume you were still paying off debts. Um, did you have a mental breakdown at that point? Because I think that's when For I would sure. have left the country. Except we couldn't. Like, shit, right, right. I need to get down, out of right? here, but I can't. <laughs> but what was your, I mean, again, we're going to get into now this this um, reverse engineering and this fear abatement method you use. But in that moment when the pandemic hit and there were so many question marks, like massage, we've spoken to massage therapists who thought this is the end of our profession. Like nobody's going to want to be touched ever again. Like this is, this is disastrous for us. Where was your head at when lockdowns first started and we were all forced to stop working? My head was at, take care of the practitioners. And I think it, I think it paid off. My head was at, I'm not allowed to touch clients, which is crazy. It's what I've done the last, you know, 10 or at that point, nine years. Um, the practitioners can't do it either. This is their livelihood. The fear set in so fiercely for everybody. Um, I was like, I have no control But what I can control is how I take care of the practitioners. And so the entire time they were paid the whole time and I subsidized classes for them the whole time. So they were totally engaged. We were kind of our own little tight knit community while everybody else was essentially just locked in their houses. I mean, we didn't, we didn't meet in person, Mm -hmm. but we would do virtual classes together. Um, And I just, I said, you know what? this is going to end. Massage is not going to be a thing of the past. Like the world will go back to normal. I have no idea when, um, but the best thing I could do is keep my crew. Like that was number one. That's, that's a leader. Yeah. We've heard from a few clinic owners. That's a leader. And that's one thing that both Mark and I have talked about off mic, just the two of us, like, that's what you you need to do in that moment. When you are the leader, everyone's looking to you. Like, I don't know what to do. And yeah, it would have been really easy for you to say, well, like, look, I'm fucked too. So, you know, take it or leave it. But a leader that's able to say, okay, things are going to go back to normal. I need to keep my team from losing their minds. I need to keep everybody happy and engaged and, you know, some distraction and education and whatever you can do. And I, I appreciate that. And I think that was, that was the right call because all of your team knew we're going to be okay. We're going to have a place to go back and work. Toby's going to make it happen. Hmm. It, it, that was the big thing is we were watching other clinics drop like flies. We're like, oh my God, like I can't imagine working there, like knowing that tomorrow I could be out of a job, a place that you might've invested, you know, a ton of years and time and sweat and blood. And you're like, oh cool. It's gone now, you know? And I, it just wasn't an option for me. It just wasn't an option. <laughs> I'm a little stubborn. Well, it seems to have worked out for you. So I guess this is the segue then Talk to us about what this reverse engineering for your your career and your life and what your fear abatement method is. And I think you sort of alluded to before we started recording that you are now sort of trying to help other therapists to understand this and to help them improve their own careers and their life. Absolutely. So, geez, where do we even start? Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what these words mean. <laughs> We'll have another little glass of wine. This is going to be a while, but. (laughs) All right, I'm ready. 
<laughs> okay. You know, I'll start with actually, there's an author by my same name, Toby, but his last name is Tanzer. It is a guy. And he wrote a book called More Fire, How to Run the Kenyan Way. Have you guys ever heard of that? I or? have not. Okay. It's it's one of the books, you know, it's kind of it's it's kind of a superfluous book. Like you're like, oh, that's cool. It doesn't have a whole bunch of huge like takeaways, but the gist of it is that. The idea is that why are there more Kenyans that run the marathon faster than anyone? And it boils down to because they think they can, because they think they're supposed to, because there's this instilled within the community that that is what we're doing. And so they do it. Um, and it's a highly oversimplified idea, but it really um, was part of this whole method and process that I've been working toward, which is. I was going to open a business and I knew it was going to be body work. Well, once I figured that out and at the end of the day, it was like, no matter what bumps in the road, which there were plenty and there continue to be, that wasn't enough to say that this is not what I'm doing. Um, but as you commit to something, to something like that, of course, you're going to be confronted with tons of things that are terrifying, just super terrifying. You know, like owing many people money when there's a pandemic, for example, right? Um, but at the end of the day, it was like you start with the you start backwards, right? You start with this big vision. So when it comes to this reverse engineering lifestyle, the way that I break it down is vision, method, tactics, and emotions. And if we get into that, essentially, I mean, I pull, I, I pull from a lot of different disciplines, everything from, I would say, from finance to the human potential movement, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, even functional movement, which is more body oriented stuff. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that having vision first allows you to do the rest, right? So if you like wake up in the morning and you have no clue what you're going to do besides like brush your teeth and put your shoes on, you might just stop there, right? That's absolutely true. And this is something everybody can relate to. So I want everybody listening to think about those days where you might have a day off. And before you go to bed, you think, yes, I finally have a day to myself where I can get so many things done. And all of you listening will be lying to yourself if you don't admit that you get none, nothing done, none of those things, none of your to-do list gets done, if you didn't actually have some sort of thought or vision of what the day was going to look like, you end up getting up and somehow this thing happens and this thing happens and all of a sudden it's like 4 p.m. and you're like, wow, I've done zero things. Or is that, <laughs> is that just me? Like, is that just me? I need to have like some sort of vision. I mean, Mark and I teach this as well, right? We, we teach business. And one of the sections of our business course, we always talk about how you have to start with that big goal first, right? It, it is reverse engineering. You need to know what you're working towards and what the final outcome is going to be before you can start doing anything. If you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. So you have to start with, this is what's going to happen. And I know that Mark is very much this way and he kicks my ass every day to be this way where it's like, once we've decided this is where we're going... There are no fucking off ramps. This is where we're going. However, we're going to get there. Like if we have to detour, fine. If we have to, you know, maybe take a pause, but we're going here. And he's one of the few people I know that actually sticks to that. We were having this discussion today on our long ass drive back from uh, <laughs> southwestern Ontario. We were talking about the number of people we've met in our career who've had these amazing, incredible ideas. And, you know, we've interviewed a bunch of people who've had these amazing ideas 
ideas and these awesome um, business plans or whatever. And then, you know, we talked to them a few months later. and It was like, oh, it didn't pan out. This happened, this happened, this happened. And both of us have been like, I feel like they, if they just stuck it out a little longer, it might have gone somewhere. It's, it's yes. It's, I, also, I don't know their circumstance. Though. I understand that. But I also think if you, the, the vision part is also the mind fuck part is also the, the mindset piece that allows you to grow into that that vision part. Do you see what I'm saying? And I feel that a lot of people that have these great ideas and fail to execute is because they don't they don't take it on the way they should. Like for example, we're working on a massive project right now and we there's 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 some other people involved in this project. And I'm like what I would love for all of us to do is to forget everything else that we have doing, everything else that might bring in money, and treat this one thing as if this is the only thing that fucking matters. Like, that is the only way that this is gonna get the legs that it needs to have to run as fast as it can to take off and, and, and leave the ground. And so that's that's gonna be our next step is to make sure all of us are on the same page where this isn't the backseat. The stuff that you're doing before that you're relying on for your income. So I understand why you might be you might be kind of timid about because walking away fearful. with that right but at the end of the day if we don't if we don't go at this the way you did with all the other things that bring you money now then it's not going to happen so we all got to be on the same page for that and so we're, we're all we're all slowly getting there i think some of us are a little quicker but we're all slowly getting there. Well, i think you and toby seem to be on the same page so as toby said we're, we're starting with this vision and then we're we're going in because the vision but again the envision the vision is important it's not just about the strategy but the vision itself whether whether it's theoretical do you know what i mean or whatever the case is it, it seems kind of it seems kind of out there and hokey it's also the pieces that remind you how to think remind you this is what you do and why you do it and therefore re-motivates you to to, to get back into it. it it teaches you how to think how to win how to act the whole bit so yeah i'm, I'm a big fan of that i think i love it i just you. clapped for you <laughs> Round of, round of applause. <laughs> well, it made me think of actually two things. So I don't know if you guys have heard of, it's called the Fear and Greed Index. Have you heard of that? No, but I want to know. It was created by CNN Money. Um, so it's a kind of fabricated idea, but it's essentially a, a way of measuring intrinsic value in stocks. So they literally say, and the reason I'm thinking of this is because the idea of money and fear and how maybe we are too afraid to move forward in our true endeavor, like the one we really want to do because, oh, well, this is paying the bills and blah, blah, blah. You're not alone. I mean, they've literally created an index that says when there's more fear, the value of stocks go down. And when there's more greed, the value of stocks go up. So if we're operating in that kind of reptilian brain and those are the only two options we've got, um, we're not going to have a huge amount of flexibility in what decisions we actually make, right? We're like, fear, greed, cool. Those are great options, right? <laughs> um, but that's as it relates to money. You know, that's just one thing. But then the second thing it re reminds me of, which I was going to talk about actually is, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of spiral dynamics. Or maybe I have, but I just don't know the term. Okay. Let's hear it. So uh, there, there's a guy named Ken Wilbur. He's he's a big proponent of this. And then a woman named, I think it's um Natasha. Oh, geez, I'm going to butcher her last name, like Tadovajik or something. Um, but essentially, spiral dynamics is a way that's, that 
it's a model of saying, how do you look at the world? So it's essentially a value system. So again, let's say we don't want to just make decisions based on fear, right? Or lack of fear. We don't want to say, oh, I just feel super courageous today. I'm going to go do something. It's like, there's more to that. So there's, there's more to how we make our decisions based on our values. And the spiral dynamics is a huge part of the reverse engineering lifestyle because it says, where on these spiral, spiral dynamics do I fall? And they color code it. So it's from beige to turquoise. And it's basically a model that represents, are you making decisions based on your immediate safety needs, which is the beige, kind of the most base level, mm-hmm. all the way up to turquoise, which says that it's like this kind of global idea that you're connected to the universe and it's a little esoteric. Um, but we really do have to think like, what are we actually basing our decisions on? You know what I mean? Yep. So so anyway, so I use spiral dynamics when I do like coaching with uh, with practitioners as far as why do you want to own a business? Why do you want to be an employee? Why do you want to be a contractor and just do part-time work? Why do you even want to do body work? And I really try to get to the core of, you know, did you fall into this? Is it something that um, sounds like a good idea, but maybe it's not anymore? Or is it something you're drawn to, feel passionate about? And there's no right or wrong answer. It really is essentially like, where are you at with this? And why are you moving forward? And why are we having this session together? Because obviously you want to do more, right? In sport, if you're into coaching, athletic coaching, we know a SWOT analysis, right? So your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats. And also a big part of athletic coaching are intangibles, it's it's you just can't define it. You can't put you can't put that thing on it. It's an intangible. Yep. It's turquoise. And <laughs> and I want to know from your perspective, what are some of these intangibles that 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 someone possesses that allows them to blow through and be successful? Mm, man, that is a super good question. Um, I mean, not to be super generic, but obviously it's some tenacity and grit, right? Because there's going to be just a huge amount of things that come up. Um, but I'm a, honestly, what I believe is the biggest deterrent for people is when they hit what's called mental friction. And it's when they try to do something and it's super gritty and grindy and nasty feeling in your head. You're like, I don't know how to do this. I hate this. This sucks. Like I'm over it and they never do it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) There's at least one of those things that happens to me like once a week where I have to like get up, walk away from it completely, like go shake my head out a few times, do something totally unrelated and then come back and say like, let me look at this differently. But at least once a week I go through that where I'm like, what the hell am I looking at right now? I don't know what the hell to do. I got to walk away. Totally. And that walk away is huge because you actually shift your brain and you actually start to piece together different parts of of your processing power. You're literally saying, I'm going to go do, go on a bike ride, or I'm going to go even like do some emails or make some lunch or whatever it is. And when you come back, you literally do have fresh eyes. You literally are saying, oh, I, I can see it differently. I mean, that's huge. That's huge. Um, so I think, yeah, just grit, tenacity, um, being willing to to deal with the discomfort of new stuff. Because when you're do when you're taking on a new project, um, and I'll give you an example. 
Um, I'm actually in the middle of uh, product development. So it's part of massage table. Um, I've never been a product developer, not a, not an engineer, no background in this. This is like, like wickedly new. It's like, what the hell am I doing? Um, but every step of the way I'm using the reverse engineered process to essentially test my theory, even to say, does this work or was it a fluke just with this one little business? Um, I'll let you know at the end if it, if it works out. But <laughs> we'll have to do a part two. Exactly. But great question, Mark. So tell me, how do you, how do you expand this 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 clinic from you taking it over and now three locations, fully staffed? Like, how does this go? Well, um, that's also a great question. So we essentially, the idea and the model behind that was that I wanted sort of a flagship location that I owned was completely, uh, so we're called BodyWise. So I wanted BodyWise to have this flagship brick and mortar. Everyone knows this is kind of the core place. And then the other locations we did what's called uh, a value added model. And I totally made that word up. It's not a thing. <laughs> um, but there's lots of things in our profession that are totally made up and not a thing. It's fine. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Just don't call us a masseuse. <laughs> you guys don't get that, but that's uh, my, my new friend, Toby. It's our inside joke from earlier. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mislabeled her as a licensed massage therapist. I get confused. I know. What are you going to do? do? All the acronyms everywhere you go, but. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so the value added uh, model was essentially there are in the county that I'm in, the joke is that every second person is a massage therapist. And it's kind of not a joke. <laughs> like, even if you meet like a finance advisor or like a teacher, and you tell them you're a body worker, they go, Oh, me too. <laughs> You're like what? <laughs> like, but like you're teaching my kid. <laughs> it's it, it's it's big in our area. Um, and so what I didn't want to do was recreate the wheel and basically saturate the market even more. I what I wanted to do was add value to existing clinics. And so I said, I've got my core clinic. We're good. We're solid. We're cruising. I'm going to take certain practitioners and we're going to add value to, let's say, Pilates studios or a wellness center right. um, with chiropractors. And essentially we became part of collaboration, but we kept our branding. Um, so we, we didn't just join the clinic and become employees. We said, no, BodyWise is coming here as a value added service. To We said, we're adding value to your clients. So dental offices, for example, we started to explore that right before COVID, which was for a value add to your client, to your patient. Um, oh, we have BodyWise massage in the waiting room as you're waiting for an appointment, for example. Um, so that, that was kind of the model. It's interesting. Really cool. I want to get back to the fear piece because we talked about you know, I, I think people understand what reverse engineering is, but this fear abatement method, because I'm sure there's a lot of therapists right now scratching their heads and saying, great, sure, get rid of fear. Like, how? How do I do that? This is everything is fucking terrifying me. What, what do you mean? A lot of ayahuasca. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a great question. So <clears throat> like I said, at the kind of middle of this conversation, I was saying is I pull from different um, theories and different ideas. And one of those is cognitive behavioral therapy. And one of the tenets of CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is something called exposure therapy. You guys heard of that? This, this part we kind of know. Yeah. 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 So the only reason I asked is because sometimes throwing out words and then 
they become more words that you have to Google, then it's like, I totally lost you. Thank you for that, though. <laughs> That's my one beef with when talking to people and they're talking to, they're talking to me about stuff I have no idea and they're just using words. I'm like, you, you want to ex- explain some of these fucking words to me? That'd be great. But thank you for that. It's so annoying. I know. I know. That's why I'm asking. I'm like, okay, we're the same page. <laughs> um, so the idea of exposure therapy is that And this is part of the method, the fear abatement method, which is you expose yourself to the stimulus that freaks you out, but you have to do in a way that's actually methodical and makes sense. And I'll give you an example. I had a speech impediment for 14 years. Can you, can you tell? No, not at all. (laughs) I love it. That's my favorite thing to hear. Um, The reason you can't tell is because I joined an organization called Toastmasters. It's international. We it's know Toastmasters. It's a total geek out, like, oh my God, like the nerdiest thing you can admit to, but like amazing as far as like being able to get you to the next level. Talk to our audience about what Toastmasters is. Yeah. I'll just say before, before Maybe she does. Maybe a lot of people listening are like, what the fuck's that? There was another person we had on the podcast who was also involved in this and got her daughter involved and her daughter struggled a little bit with self-confidence. And I'm telling you, if you knew her daughter today... You would never, ever think that this woman owns every room she walks into. It's incredible. Wow. So yeah, wow. talk to people about what this is for anyone who hasn't heard of it. Like yeah, I, right I've never been breakfast. part of it, but I, I think it's obviously providing a lot of value for people based on the people I know who have, who have done Toastmasters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So international organization, I think it's in something like 136 countries. And within the country, there's like a bajillion clubs. Um, So it's huge, lots of resources, but it uses a particular model that essentially is about building self-confidence and personal growth through communication. And it's not culty. It's not that weird, like feeling of like, oh, if I join Toastmasters, it's this weird, like underground thing. It's literally just a program. It's like taking a class. You can show up once, you could show up twice, you could show up like I've done now for four years. Um, You know, it really just depends what you want to get out of it. Some people will join uh, a public speaking, the Toastmasters group, just to be able to give a toast at a wedding, for example, um, which is great. They show up, they do maybe like 10 or 12 classes or sessions. And yeah, they're not going to be like, you know, next best speaker, you know, as far as learning like everything they need to learn, but they might get some basic tips and just the exposure, which brings us back to the idea of getting up in front of people, doing something that's scary in a constructive, um, what's the word, uh, uh, like tapered way where you're not just being thrown, thrown to the wolves. Um, it, it just, it, it changes everything, changes everything. So what about, um, the people, you know, as we were talking about earlier, the people that are afraid to take their next step it with, you know, let's say they've got the big vision, they know where they want to go, but they're afraid to take the next step and do what they have to do to actualize this vision because it's going to mean possibly delaying income. You know, people are not good at delaying gratification. So, you know, putting off making money or possibly having to run into some financial situations, some debts, like that terrifies people. How do we use this fear abatement method? What other strategies do you have for people who are like, I just can't, you know, I've got a family, I've got a mortgage. I can't, I can't do this. It's a big one. It's a big one. Um, I admittedly, I do not have kids, so I don't even pretend to understand the level of uh, the gravity of responsibility as far as like yeah, I can't just take a huge risk and it doesn't work out. Cause, I can send you, know, you I mine two... for a few days. It's fine. They're, they're really yeah. awesome. 
How old are they? They're four and seven. <laughs> You'll love them. <laughs> oh, sweet. Send them on a plane, you know, we'll hang out. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, you guys know better than I, as far as like what it really means to, you know, have, have mouths to feed. Like that's, that's a whole different thing. And, and I still don't mean that there, there isn't a way to take the leap, but I do, I am going to say the caveat, like I recognize, like that's a whole different level. Right. Um, but assuming that there's a decent amount of stability, um, either with that circumstance or somebody who doesn't have kids, uh, first thing is I would say read a book called uh, The Principles by Ray Dalio. It's a finance book. Um, it's super out there. <laughs> it's super out there, but he's a like multi-billionaire, has some really good tips. And the reason I say this again is because work backwards. Don't quit your job before you know anything about money, right? Like understand some basics about money before you say, I'm just going to jump off and like hope I make more money. It's like, what does that even mean? Like how much do you need to make? What would that look like? Where will you invest it? Do you want to invest? You just want to live paycheck to paycheck. Are you going to be self-employed? Do you want to have a 401k? Like there's so many questions. And I think a lot of the fear comes from, am I literally just making the next decision or am I making some big decision that takes into account all the other decisions that kind of led up to that? I'm looking, I'm looking at Mark, like, he looks like he has something to say. I also feel like a lot of people they're ready to dive into something, which is cool, and I, I respect that your 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 ability to to take on a risk and say I'm going to do it. But I think there's also sometimes I see a lack of strategic planning, mm-hmm. and it's great to be able to to want to take the risk, but then to do it without strategy is kind of silly to me. Well, this is exactly what Toby's and saying. Then, like, there's no magic exactly. pill, right? It's not like, oh, I have this vision and now I'm just going to jump off and do it. And then and then like having things like key performance indicators along the way, that way you can measure, am I, am I meeting the marks? Because, you know, you might have this, fa- like you see it all the time on like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank where someone sank like $500,000 into this business that's going nowhere, but they, they, they don't have those key performance indicators to tell them this is going nowhere, right? Yeah. They just they just see the vision of it and they can't recognize that the vision isn't quite a reality. And you've been trying it 18,000 different ways and all of your key performance indicators, which you actually have, but you don't recognize them, are telling you this is a bad fucking idea yeah. and you keep going at it. So I, I think I think being realistic with the vision and then recognizing you need the strategy to go along with it, the, the two got to go together or or, or it's just a And it's that's just the whole idea factory. of working in reverse, right? You have the vision, yeah. but now it's, okay, what is, what, what are, every single step that I need to take to get there. What, like, let's list out everything that needs to happen. And then you look at how realistic is this for me right now? You know, can I do this? Or if this isn't realistic, is there a way to make it realistic? Do I need to go to some friends and borrow some money? Is there a possibility of me getting a bank loan? You know, is my boss super cool and will, you know, allow me to move to part-time work so I can focus some extra time and energy on this? Like, that's where the planning really comes in. And you have to sometimes be a little bit creative, but it's again coming back to there's a lot of people that don't get to that strategic planning part because they look at this vision and overwhelms them with fear. And then it's, it's, I I, I don't know where to go from here. I can't do it. And they throw it away. And like I said, we've seen it. We've had people who have these great ideas. And then a few months down the road, they're like, well, it didn't pan out. But what? 
but it was such a good idea. It's so tragic to me. I mean, I, I look at, again, as mentioned earlier, um, I take a lot from the human potential movement, which is we got, we have so much potential. Why don't we tap into it? And, and I think a lot of it boils down to, cause thoughts are, you know, a dime a dozen as far as like great ideas go. Um, but you're right. You get stuck. You get that mental fiction. You get scared. You start looking at like, oh, the overwhelming amount of work to do. I mean, if you don't even know what a KPI or a um, key performance indicator actually is, no, like, again, no shade. It's just like, how are you going to actually measure it? Have you even thought of that? Like, what is that? You know, how, how can you take the next step? Yeah. And Mark's famous saying when we teach our business class is if you have a good strategic plan and you follow it to a T, you absolutely cannot fail. And then he like, you know, does a dot, dot, dot. I see, I see the mental dot, dot, dot. And he goes, unless it was a shitty plan. Well, and the exe- only you'll way- You'll execute on the <laughs> shitty plan. Your yeah. shitty plan will come to life, but it might be a shitty plan. But the part of the, but the part that he really emphasizes there is the only way you know that the plan sucks is if you have your KPIs and, you know, along the way you're measuring, because then you've got to tweak things, right? There's no point in continuing down a path that isn't working. If you understand what your metrics are and you can realize, you know, a few months down the road, I got to tweak some things. This is not exactly working. Let me see how I can shift this and do it. It doesn't mean give up on the vision. And this is why I said Mark's one of the only people I know personally who works this way where it's like, okay, this this has hit like a huge block. I know a lot of people who would say, oh, okay, I guess this was a bad plan. He's like, I got to tweak this somehow because I've still got to get over there, but I got to tweak it somehow. Beautiful. It's impressive. He's staring well, at me like, stop it. Because, stop complimenting because me. Because for me, <laughs> yes, don't do that. That's weird. Because for me, there there is no other option but going over there. So it's not about can I get over there? It's like, when am I going to get over there? How am I going to get over there? What's the best path to go through to get over there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But for me, it's never. Absolutely. You know, but that also happens at the beginning vision phase where if I come up with some fucking cockamamie idea, it's like, can I actually bring this to life? Is this a is this a real is this a real thing that I can make happen here? And if it's not right from the beginning, well then that's a whole other story. Then I'll walk away. But yeah. if I can if I can if I can taste it before it's ever there, before it hits my plate, if I can taste it when it's just shit at the grocery store, then I'm like, Yeah, I can make this I can make this happen. And I can't even fucking cook. <laughs> That's, that's the funnier part. The good news is his wife can cook, so it's all good. <laughs> Takes two. What do, you think, what do you think of the idea of always say yes? Just say someone asks you to do something that's that's kind of in along the lines of that that'll that'll put you in a better spot, even if you don't know what you're fucking doing. Just say yes and figure it out. How do you think about this idea? Just curious. That's not, that's an awesome question too, because I think it depends where in your journey, so to speak, or where in the phase of your development you are. So for example, those five years that I hustled, I was strategic about it. I said, I mean, I, I give myself more credit than I deserve. I was hustling and I was a little blinded by that. And I was, I got burned out of course, but I knew that I wasn't going to do it forever. And I was in a phase where I just wanted to learn everything. It was about saturation. In those times, hell yeah, say yes to everything, learn everything, fail, fail fast, fail hard, do it a lot. Like if you don't have a ton to lose as far as like, you know, skin off your back as far as, you know, is this something that somebody's trusting you to do, but maybe they know you don't have the credentials. They just kind of need help or want you to try, or you get kind of uh, swept up into some project. I think experience, especially ones that you haven't, 
decided on based on your own limited experience mm-hmm. is awesome if that's where you're at. If you're at a place where you're like nailed in and you are like super into it, you are in the groove as far as your vision and your plan and where you're going. Hell no. <laughs> say no, say no to everything that isn't exactly on your track. And again, that will fluctuate. There's going to be times where you're back, you're on a track and you're single focused. And then you're like, done. I did it. I made it time to move forward. And then again, you get to the kind of that place where you're like, the world's my oyster. I can like literally do anything and and swim in all the unknowns and the randomness and, and say yes again. Um, yeah, that's my take on that. It is interesting. I don't know if 10 years ago, I would have been the say yes to everything, take risks kind of person. I don't know. I, I can't say for sure. But in the last few years, just, you know, like us doing new projects and stuff, I've gotten to the point exactly as you said, where there's times where I'm like, no, this we need to say no to, even though, you know, we can make an easy, you know, X amount of dollars if we go do this right now. But we're trying to get to this place and we need to focus here. Like I'm in this mindset now where I know when to say no and I know when to say yes, even if it's something fucking terrifying. Like we've said, we've said yes to some very interesting things this year. And Mark will tell you sometimes at three o'clock in the morning, I turn to him and I'm like, I'm having anxiety, (laughs) but we calm down. I mean, he calms me down because he's usually pretty calm. I'm like, I'm stressing out. And it's because we are working on this new thing and this new project and it has involved, you know, putting aside the stability. It's involved, you know, shutting down the fear and saying, we know where we're going and, you know, we're using all the metrics. We're doing what we can do. We've done this very strategically and uh, yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. I'm so curious. I mean, any examples or is that proprietary? (laughs) That'll be something we talk about off mic, Toby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I like living in the pressure cooker. I do. I I like the I like the sensation of of we're trying to we're trying to push this thing out of the lady bits. I like that feeling. I do. I I like <laughs> I, nice I, I, I like the pressure. I like the pressure feeling. You know what? As much as I say, oh, I don't know if I would have been like this before. I think I've actually always been like this. I just maybe didn't recognize it in myself because this is going to sound super braggadocious. So I'm just warning you all right now. It's okay if you roll your eyes at me. I understand. I'm rolling my eyes at myself. Susan, Susan. Uh, I'm Susan right now. So when Susan was in university, I barely had to try. I've said this before, but like I barely had to try. I was the type of student that could sit sit in a class. Yeah, exactly. It's super braggadocious. I could sit in a class and, you know, sort of be half paying attention and honestly coast by and still get straight A's. Like that was just, it was just an easy peasy kind of thing for me. But when there was an assignment to do, I was always super laid back about it because, again, I was the type of person that didn't have to do it. I was super laid back about it. And all of a sudden, it would be like, you know, a day before the assignment was due. It could be like a 25-page essay. And I'm like, all right, better get started. And I just... I always felt like I worked better under pressure. I'd have a day and a half to do this. I'd fucking bang this thing out and get an A. That's not what I mean by pressure. I know. But yeah. I know. But I mean, like, I I think that was like a, a, a foreshadowing to like, I there's something about pressure that just makes me get shit done. 
you know? And I think that's, I think part of that is a personality trait too, right? Like some people are not big risk, so, okay. risk takers. Some people are not the type of person that wants this kind of pressure on them all the time. You know, they rather the stability and, and that's okay. Let me ask you guys a question then. Let's see if I remember it because I'm a little stoned from earlier. <laughs> My question, <laughs> where was it? It was right there before I started. What was I, was I, I going to say? I'll help you out. We were talking about yeah. pressure and you like being in the pressure cooker. Ooh, it was so good. It's gone. <laughs> Just like that. It's gone. Blame Susan. It'll come back. It'll come back. Oh, Susan. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys about, about what you guys think about something. Shit, 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 shit. Pressure, pressure cooker. Were you talking about being a student? I talked about procrastinating. You're like, that's not the kind of pressure I meant. I was like, no, I know, but fuck, it was good. All right, I'll come back to me. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. We'll move on for now. When you remember it, just interrupt me as you usually do when you forget things. (laughs) Let me think while you guys talk. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it back at Toby then. Um, While Mark thinks about what it is he cannot remember. I know that, as you said, you've you've now been trying to help other therapists realize that, you know, they probably do have more control than than they think, and they can reverse engineer their life and their career to optimize what's going on around them. So I, you know, we're not going to give away all of your secrets right now because that would be silly. But if you had one piece of advice for somebody who's listening to this and is like, I have no idea what these three are talking about. What would this be? They've made it pretty far if they don't. (laughs) Okay. One piece of advice. Let's see. I would say understand your fears and understand your motivations. And that can help you decide on your vision. If you don't understand both, you're going to probably be operating from just one. And it's going to take you down some weird ass funky road, which can be fun. But if you really want to make progress and you really want to move forward and you you like the pressure and you're okay with it and you you want to grow and you want to really be successful, whatever that means for you, understand your fears and understand your motivations. I'd say that's it. I like that a lot. Fears and motivations, they don't necessarily have to be in contrast with each other. If you understand both, as you said, you can, it's it's just like, as Mark said, the example of the SWOT analysis, right? Understanding where your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats. And then you build your plan to focus on the strengths and opportunities and diminish those weaknesses and threats, right? Like that's, that's the idea. Understanding your fears and understanding your motivations. Why do I want to do something? That is a question I don't think people ask themselves enough, right? Why do I want to do this? Because then it leads you possibly to, do I want to do this? Right, exactly. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. (laughs) And your fears, maybe your fears are ridiculous, but maybe your fears are actually protective. Maybe they're there because this isn't the path for you. So I think that is a really good piece of advice for somebody starting out in any in any venture, whether it's personal or in their business. What is scaring you about this? And why do you want to do this in the first place? Nailed it. Have you gotten any got no, anything, Mark? Still, I'm still trying to think. Still, still percolating. Yeah, it's still, We've had a long day. It was so good. I too. Know. Are you sure? It was tasty. My mom used to tell me if you can't remember, it probably wasn't that important. That's your mother. This is me. 
No offense, but <laughs> that's your mother-in-law. He's like, I like her, but Just she's my mother-in-law. Doesn't mean doesn't mean I have to take anything she says <laughs> and put any any weight to it at all. Do you guys know Tim McGraw? Yes, it's, he has that song. How bad do you want it? Have you heard of? <laughs> no, I haven't. I don't listen to a lot of country music. I know. I, I totally gave myself away. I <laughs> oh, I didn't say. I, I, I didn't say I dislike country music. I think deep down, everybody likes country music. Everybody always hates on it. But how is it that country music is as popular as it is and survives the way it does? Like deep down, people like that it's, shit. It's they like, don't it's, want to admit it's like it. Nickelback. Yeah, right. Country or, music. It's is the like, closeted music. They just like, like secretly Nickelback. listen in their car. <laughs> it's like when we were talking about McDonald's today. We were driving for and between small town to small town to small town like we went from one big city to another big city and in between the two cities i turned to mark at one point and i said you know i just counted seven mcdonald's like you between two shit. cities and he's like see all these people who say they don't eat fast food how the fuck were there seven mcdonald's between two <laughs> cities if people aren't visiting mcdonald's you people are buying fries. Yeah, for you sure. Closet fast food eaters and you closet country music listeners. <laughs> They're like blasting Nickelback while eating a burger. It's like the walk of shame. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we were listening to Backstreet Boys on the way home. Nothing's wrong with Backstreet Boys. Nothing's a little wrong with little Backstreet Boys. Okay. Remind me to make that post, Nick Carter. Oh, I forgot. See, you told me I'd forget. He wants to make a hey, Facebook at Nick post. Carter, am I sexual? <laughs> Hashtag, yeah. You have to have like seven A's in the Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Come on. Don't you feel goofy like singing that line? And then as Amanda pointed out, having all the guys behind you go, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Rich motherfucker. It's rich is, motherfucker. This is the shit we talk about when we're driving. So profound. Oh, it's deep. It's deep. I tell you, AJ, you know, he was, he was, a. <laughs> oh my God. He was a trendsetter. <laughs> Backstreet Boys. Well, if Mark has not no, come up with his lost. question, it's, it's lost. lost. It's gone. But it's lost. I'm going to throw it back to you, Toby, because I know we've taken up a lot of your time tonight, but I want to make sure that you've, you've gotten the message out. So for therapists who are listening, um, one, if you have contact information that you're willing to give out for anybody who wants to pick your brain a little bit or learn a little bit more. And two, you know, maybe summarizing what it is that you are trying to convey to therapists about, you know, starting with this big vision, reverse engineering your your life or your career, and this getting rid of the fear that's holding you back. Yes. So uh, you're welcome to check out the website. Um, so it's bodywisemassageinc.com. Uh, you can shoot me an email anytime. The email's on there. And I'm happy to just work with any practitioners who are curious to really level up. It really is about that. It's about saying body work is an industry that is just blowing up. It's exploding in so many different ways. We can be super creative with what we do with it. And I, again, as mentioned, I'm all about human potential, just like maximizing what we're about and what we're capable of. So I'd love to see every practitioner just doing like some awesome shit and, uh, and changing the field and really just like doing really cool things that help clients. Um, and that are just super rad. So email me if you have any questions and uh, we could kind of walk through some of this process. Awesome. Well, this is really fun, Toby. I'm really excited to learn more about this. And um, it was it was really awesome to talk to somebody who's so positive. You know, it's it's something that 
it's something that is really scary. You know, when you decide I'm going to go off on a new venture, start a new business, change my career path, whatever it is, any kind of change is really scary. And I think it's helpful for people to hear from other people who have gone through it. And you started with $300 in your bank account. And yes, you said, you know, you had a little bit of luck there too. But I like the idea that, you know, nothing is necessarily out of reach. You got to look at where you want to go, what's your motivation, what's scaring you, and then figure out how to create this pathway to get where you want to be. And it doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. And I think that's where the people that we know that have, you know, given up on their great ideas, I think that it was maybe this expectation that something is going to happen overnight. Well, they... <laughs> the I, I don't I don't I don't like when I hear this and the part that I don't like is we all need to stop glorifying the hustle and grind and blah 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 we need three have, of my Facebook friends have posted that this week and I'm like I understand where that comes from and I get it but when you have a vision of something and you're trying to bring it to life that's different. And it requires so much time and energy. You, you have to hustle. Yeah. You can't you can't you you can't do it leisurely. You can't you can't you can't have that awesome work life balance that you that you're hoping to have. No, it, social it media has really it doesn't blurred. exist when you're trying to do what you gotta do and it's yeah. and it's a massive undertaking. Then that's you have. There are moments when you have to eat shit, and there's, that's part of that's part of the process. There's a lot of confusion in messaging out there because, on one hand, you've got those posts that are, like I said, literally three people on my Facebook. You must, you, you must know have, what? You must have mutual friends. With First me. of all, the, the only people, <laughs> and it's funny, the people that are telling you that. If you look at all the successful people that are telling you that. That's bullshit because they all fucking yeah. hustled the grind and yeah. ate shit. They hustled. Exactly. You can sit yep. back in your in your comfortable place right now and say work life balance is so important and you know you gotta you gotta take care of you. Yes, all of that's true, but that's easy to do once you've once that you've got everything. Exactly. Exactly. But what Toby said was I think the piece that people need to remember is it's not going to be like this forever. And again, right. with this method of reverse engineering, if you know where you're going and you have a plan, you know that, okay, for the first little bit, yeah, I have to fucking hustle and certain aspects of my life are going to have to take a back seat and are going to have to suffer a little bit, but it's going to it's going to turn into this amazing accomplishment yeah. where then I can have a little bit of a better work-life balance in a more comfortable position, making more money. I'll have more time for my family. But yeah, this there's a lot of confusing messaging where it's like, you know, self-care, 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 work-life balance. And I don't disagree with that. Of course, you have to take care of yourself and you need to know when your body or your mental health is telling you slow down a little bit. But on the other hand, if you know where you're going you're not going to get there by working three days a week and making sure that, you know, you take every Sunday off and kick your feet. Like sometimes you have to do stuff that is a little bit uncomfortable. And I like that you mentioned that as well. Start getting familiar with this, this discomfort because eventually you realize, well, okay, this is hard work, 
but it doesn't feel so shitty when you realize I'm doing this for a purpose. I'm doing this for a good reason. And Mark will tell you, like, I, I'm I'm preaching this right now. It is okay if there are days where you're like, I know this is for a good reason, but I fucking hate this mm-hmm. because I do this, like I said, at least it's once a week. I'm like, I'm going to lose my fucking shit and throw all of this out the window cool. and move to a small town and like get a job at Value Mart because cool. I can't handle this shit anymore. And in five years, you'll be sitting on a patio on your day off on a Wednesday going, remember that time when yep. uh, when I was really upset about shit because yep. we were trying to make things happen and, and look, we just toughed it out and we, we did what we were supposed to do. And, and now here I am on a Tuesday afternoon on a patio because I don't have to be anywhere else. It was Wednesday a minute ago. Well, maybe, you're, maybe you're the one drinking. <laughs> Well, I'll give you guys one more example, you know, because I'm in a lot of fitness and and kind of that world. But if you do a marathon, right, it's it's about 26 miles. If you run a marathon in three hours, you got to run at just under seven minutes a mile for the whole 26.2 miles. That's a grind. That's a hustle. But you're done in three hours and you can be sipping beer at the finish line when there's somebody else running in six hours. They're not going to be drinking beer in three hours. Mm-hmm. That's just how it works. I mean, and and the reason I say this, because again, if you have that vision, you know where you're going, you're, you might be able to run a three hour marathon because you know that in three hours, you're going to be drinking beer. So if that's your motivation, fucking run it in three hours, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much, Toby. And um, I'm hoping that people will hear this and start following you and maybe want to pick your brain a little bit and figure out how they can get rid of this fear and start moving in the direction that they want to go. Sounds like a pretty good brain to pick. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds amazing. We can share enchiladas together. Fucking <laughs> love enchiladas. I know. Thanks for hanging out. This has been good. Thank you, guys. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Push. <laughs>